Welcome to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast, where we're joined by your hosts, Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. In each episode, we'll be sharing valuable insights and tips to help you turn your NDIS business into a profitable venture. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, you've come to the right place. Let's stop surviving and start thriving. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast with Paul and Tanya. Hey, Paul, how are you going today? Really well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here uh, filming in a really cool new place. And uh, we're going to have a bit of fun. And today we're going to be chatting about when is the right time to hire your first manager? Yeah, it's a really great, great topic and a great question. I think it's something that everyone struggles with. And I know even like coming up with the topic for this, the name of this podcast Mm. episode was hard because we were like, is it the first business development manager? Is it the first service delivery manager? But it's really taking that leap. So I think there's a few leaps that happen in business. It's hiring your first staff member and then hiring your first manager is really a next level, leveling yeah. up in a new way and can be really unsure and, and a really big risk. Oh, especially for a control freak like me and I want to have my hands in every part of the business. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I, <laughs> I can I can sympathize there. <laughs> so look, what what stage of growth should a provider think about bringing someone in as a manager of a certain area or the business? to help go to that next stage? Look, I, I don't know if there's a if there's a magic dollar figure, mm-hmm. if that's what you're after. I guess I would ask you about the dollar figure from the business coaching perspective. From my experience running businesses, it's really that tricky time where you have you have somewhere between five and six staff uh, that are doing things for you, maybe maybe between five and ten staff. I really feel like one person can only manage four to five people effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and as business owners, we want to keep doing everything ourselves because we do it so well and we feel so competent and it's our baby. But but you really start dropping the ball when you have many more direct reports. And yeah. it can even happen earlier depending on uh, revenue and pretending, uh, depending on other things. But I think that when you've got five staff, uh, like, not support workers, but you have five office staff or you have five other people that are there and you need to really start thinking about how do I create a barrier between me and the other staff so that I can focus on work. Mm. I think it's at the time where you're doing everything and you need to start thinking about delegation. So in my businesses, I've started with hiring an admin person usually as my first hire outside of the people delivering services, whether that's support work or whether that's uh, you know, in my businesses, it might be graphic designers or it might be other auditors. <clears throat> once those, once you've got a number of those people, I, I look at first doing an, hiring an admin person to take the admin function. And once the admin function's taken care of, that usually just frees me up a little bit more to continue with staff. Yeah. But then you get to a point where you really need someone else to do the people things. Yep. You need someone to make sure that the staff have enough attention that someone's growing and developing them, that someone's focusing on them so that they can focus on participants. And that's the tricky point for me. Um, So what stage of growth? I would say this is generally a couple of years in maybe, Mm -hmm. depending on how many participants and the complexities of your business. For me, it's always happened at two to three years where I've hired a manager. That manager might just be a, a general manager or an mm-hmm. operations manager or a care manager, or service delivery manager. 
and that manager will take over managing the people delivering services. And that gives me a step up to look at the business and start working more on the business than in the business. Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, choice to get to is because a lot of owners become the cap yes. on their business. Yes. And you, you, you tie yourself out trying to be everything to everybody, looking after the people that you're working with and the people that you're working for. It can be a real uh, problem stage when you don't have the ability to go, right, I'm going to delegate yes. this thing. Yeah, that's um, true. What do you think are the key uh, responsibilities and, and qualities to look for when hiring a manager so that you can go in, in the right direction you want to go in? So the biggest mistake I see is promoting someone who doesn't have leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Anyone managing people need to have led people before. Yeah. They can be tec- technically really proficient. So if I'm managing, if they're, if I'm a support worker business and I have 15 support workers and now I need someone to manage the support workers, promoting my best support worker might not be the best mm. option. It really needs to be someone who's led people before. Yeah. They need to focus on the human resources. And I don't mean the human resources like knowing the legislations and writing the contracts. Mm-hmm. I mean, knowing how to get the best out of people. Yeah. You know, this, this idea of capacity building, really valuing training, really valuing investing in people. If you, if you have support workers and you choose your best support worker and you promote them, they may then actually be a negative and they might end up leaving because leading is not something they're comfortable doing. Yeah. Leading people's an art and it really takes time and practice. So any manager, whether it's business development manager, anyone leading people, they need to have led people before. Or some people have it innately. Yeah. But you know, I feel like I'm a I'm a good leader of people and I can tell you my first two or three roles as a leader I did really badly at. I um was, you know, overly controlling, micromanaging, and really different than I am today. And I need that experience to get better. But if you're a small provider, you don't really have time to get other people, to let other people make mistakes like that. Yes. You don't have the, the time, you don't have the resources, you don't have the budgets. So if you can choose someone who's experienced in managing people in whatever manager, that's the number one thing you should be looking for. Yeah, brilliant. I love how you... um uh, probably made that really real to yourself where you started at a point trying to figure out what the next stage was. And, um, yeah, I guess appointing the wrong people is going to be a really detrimental thing. Oh, it can take you back in business, take you back six months. You can, yeah. you can lose all your best clients. You can lose all your best staff mm. by promoting the wrong people and by having the wrong people in the wrong seats. Yeah. You know, I always like that bus analogy. Yeah. Uh, a leader's role is to drive the bus, know what direction the bus is going on and making sure you've got the right people in the right seats. Yep. The wrong people, the right people in the wrong seats is an issue and the wrong people on any seat is an issue. Yes. So like screening for values is really important and alignment. And look, you can improve people's technical ability in any area. It's just about having the skills and the time frame and the frameworks to do that. Yep. So if you do want to take your best support worker and you've got time to mentor and, and develop and put them on training courses and, and mentor them over a period of time, you then just need to understand, I'm not going to be able to hand off 100% or even 80% of what I want to right now. Mm-hmm. It's going to take that person six months in the role yes. till they're doing what I want them to do. Don't expect them to do it the first day in the role. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I think you would be doing a, a disservice not only to yourself, but your participants and your business if you go, here you go, start managing this, see you later. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what people want to do when they hire anyone. Yeah. You know, I, I have I, I have a friend who runs a uh, graphic design business and I spoke to her the other day and she was saying to me, oh, I've got rid of all these graphic designers. And I was like, oh, okay, why so many, so much turnover? And she's like, well, look, I, I hire them and I hire them at a high rate and they should have these skills. And if they can't do it within the first few weeks, I just cut my losses. And I was like, okay, but what kind of training do you provide? How have you been clear on your guidelines and what you expect? Yeah. I think there's there's room there to really think about the framework when you're hiring a person. There's some people who, who like me, like going into nothing and creating structure, but there's equally people who can't create the structure and need structure to work within. Yes. If you're a small business, when we interviewed Phil from Partail mm. in an earlier episode, the piece of advice he gave was being really clear about the size of your business when you're interviewing, not make yourself seem big when you're small. Because if you're attracting someone who's used to structure and you bring them into a startup, they're not going to survive. Yeah. And vice versa, if you take someone who's used to, to startups and you put them in a government role with lots of structure, they don't know how to operate inside those structures. So it's choosing the right person for the role, the stage of business, you know, and, and really uh, doing all you can to, to filter and check that person before you bring them in. Brilliant. Uh, you mentioned about those different, you know, structures and you know, those, uh, the different size businesses. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the common challenges that providers would probably face when they're transitioning to that structure of needing a manager in place? Yeah. Look, the biggest challenge I think is around the upkeep of culture in the business, mm. because when you are the owner and the manager, the, the culture of the business is in every element of what happens. And as you remove yourself, some of that everyday vision and mission and, and culture and values gets one step removed. Yes. So you really need to focus on how does then the leader still do their, um, the collaboration and the vision setting and the missions? Can you do things like a monthly town hall where all staff come together so that the manager is still getting their chance to, um, inspire the front line and mm. instill those values. Um, one of the, the scaling up methodology is that you shouldn't hire more than one senior person every six months because it takes a senior manager six months to learn the values and the culture. Yeah. And if you hire a lot, the culture and the values becomes diluted and can be really impacted. Mm. There's a fantastic book um, which I read called Mission Drift. And it's just that idea that you know, you start out like a charity, for instance, could start out with this beautiful mission of what they want to do, what they want to achieve. And as more structure comes into the business, that mission can get, as you said, diluted as, yeah. as it gets filtered down. So I think having that real good idea of what's the mission for the start yes, and then hiring and supporting people in that mission yeah, so that that filters down through all parts of the business. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So how can NDIS providers set them apart, uh, set themselves up for some success uh, when they're delegating control of parts of their business and empowering a new manager? Yeah. Look, that's really tricky. I really think it comes down to instilling the values first and foremost, having structures. So 
uh, and being really clear on expectations. Mm. And that's the one yeah. thing that I see is missing most times. Um, at the NGS provider retreat in Bali, I did um, some one-on-ones with an amazing provider who's talking to me about his business challenges. And it was really clear to me is talking about his first manager that he's hired that he paid too much for and it was really a financial struggle to have mm-hmm. them. And when he was talking about this person, I had to ask the question, do you think that they're the right person for the role? Um, and secondly, then when he talked more and he assured me that it was the right person for the role because of the value fit and the alignment and the experience, the question was, it sounds to me like they're doing a different role than what you expected. What are the expectations? How often do you review what they're expected to do? Do they have a clear job description that you review with them regularly? So for me, the structure is everyone in my businesses has a scorecard. So in my business, we have quarterly goals and rocks. We have long-term goals and we have you know yearly, five-year, three-year, one-year goals. Those one-year goals are broken into quarterly goals. And for each person that, that in the business, they then have a metric on how to meet not just their day to day, but how they're meeting their quarterly goals. Yeah, and they cool. have one or two numbers that they need to talk about regularly. Mm-hmm. So we're regularly monthly or bi-monthly. We're meeting with them and talking about we're expecting A and B and C from you. Great. And the metric is this. So if I want a report, it is I expect a report. So my marketing team. They need to provide a report on the cost of acquisition and their revenue spend and the revenue income and their percentages of A, B, and C in a report that's sent to me by the 30th of each month. Really? You know, so the metric is clear. It's not was the metrics done. It's was it emailed to me? Mm. Was that information emailed to me by that date? It's really easy then to, to be clear if it was done or not. Yep. They're really clear on what's expected in what timeframes. And I'm really clear on what I expect. And I always find if someone's not meeting my expectations, I go back and read their scorecards or their job descriptions and I'm like, oh, right, my expectations aren't correct. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting them to do A, B, and C, but the job description says Z, Y, and X. Yeah. And when I meet with them, obviously those things can change by conversation, but it's that mm-hmm. ongoing communication. Brilliant. So I think it would be, I know I waffled there a little bit, but my advice would be be clear on what you want them to to do, write them a job description at the very least, write out what success looks for them in the first three months. What are you expecting them to hit the ground running and do in the first three months? It might be five things. It might be one thing. It might be 10 things. What do they need to do to show you that they can do the role? Great. And then communication strategies. How often are you meeting with them? I would say daily in the beginning, even if it's a 15-minute daily catch-up. Every single day. So if they've got a question, they've got a point in time they can ask you. So they're not bothering you every three seconds. They know, oh, I'm meeting with Tanya at lunchtime. Mm. I'm going to save my questions up for lunchtime. And after lunchtime, if I've got another question, I'm going to wait till next lunchtime to talk to Tanya again. Right. I know an open door policy is great, but for a new staff member, they've got so many questions that giving them a point means they can start to think about what that is rather than bombarding you constantly. Yeah. That's brilliant. Like, Having that really clear idea of your expectations and your manager's expectations, and are they the same? Yes. Because I can just see that causing so many problems if we're like this, yes. right? When things are not lined up. I think that is probably going to be the golden nugget. You as a provider, are you sure that you have effectively communicated what is expected 
to your new manager and what the deliverables are and how are we going to measure this and what is the next steps? Yeah. That was really fun. I really enjoyed that podcast today. Thanks, Paul. I think um, everyone should join us for next week. And next week is what systems and technology do I need? And we're talking to the wonderful Rashad from Brimmer. Brilliant. That's going to be a good one to really find out all the different systems and things that are possibly in place, what's going to suit you. Yeah, I can't wait for that one either. Join us then on all of your favorite podcast channels and on YouTube. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast with Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. We hope you found today's episode informative and valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating, and share it with others who could benefit from our insights. Until next time, keep thriving.